Well, today's a special day for multiple reasons. We are thrilled that you're here today, and it is a privilege for me and for you to be able to be ministered to through the Word by Brother Joe Hummerkaus today. Um, I've known Brother Joe since I was 11 years old. I grew up with his kids, so he's a pinch older than me. And um, he was a pastor in my hometown for 23 years. He's got over 50 years in ministry. I think this is Joe's fourth time being here to Calvary. And uh, Joe has a heart to really encourage local churches and to encourage pastors. I sat this past Thursday. There were half half a dozen of us in a room for about three hours. And he poured his heart out to myself and some other pastors telling us how we can improve prayer in the church, the church praying together in a very practical way, um, encouraging us with Jesus Christ being center in everything that we do in the church. And it was such a spirit-led time. Joe asked me just to put together that time for some of the area pastors to join. And I told him when we set that up, I said, if you're going to be in town, Joe, I need to have you come and, and preach to my folks because we love it when you're here. And um, I'm going to ask Joe to come at this time and to encourage us from God's Word. Uh, There is a handout in your bulletin. You're going to be glad for that. There's a lot of content that you've got here, Joe. There's a lot of stuff there. So some of you are feverishly writing notes. You don't have to feverishly write notes today. Most of it's there in the handout. But we are very blessed to have Brother Joe with us here to break the Word to us. I'm amongst those that say, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You know, I love places like this, and as, as Teresa and I travel about, um, and we're lots of times just in the marketplace, you know, where everybody's debating issues, and you can't get to the truth, and so forth. They come into a place like Calvary Bible, where Jesus is the focus, and the truth of the Word of God is the foundation, and they even have these graduates today. So good to see you guys And may the Lord bless your life as you move forward. And Pastor Jeremy and Tina have hosted us. And this is uh, the first time that my bride and Jeremy's bride has really met on this trip. And it's really fun for us to be together. Do you know, 77 years ago, it was D-Day. Some of us, I mean, some of us remember that. And maybe somebody in the room was even living during that time. And I think back on that day and... I just want to respect our military and those that defended our country down through the years. And this message that I'm sharing with you today, guys, is to be a maximum encouragement to you. This is not a pep talk. Everything that I'm going to say is rooted in Scripture, but I want every one of you who are a part of Calvary Bible Church to walk away from here and say, we can go on. You know, I hear a lot of discouragement from people about the culture and so forth, but we're going to show you today why, um, well, here's the byline for this message, why the church should never lose hope. Okay, read that together. Ready? Here we go, out loud together. Why the church should never lose hope. I want you to go home when you're driving home, maybe the wife turned to the husband and say, honey, I see it. This is why we should never lose hope. And you guys who are trying to make a living and lead your family and so forth when there's so many discouraging circumstances that you look at your family as Christians and you say, hey, kids, this is why we're never going to lose hope. And that's what what my heart is for you today, to be able to do that. I'm going to show you right in the scriptures why it's true. 
I would like to go into this lose-lose situation that we hear so much about as far as our modern culture is concerned. And so I put this together because I'm watching these different tenets of our culture kind of falling apart. Like, for instance, um, I'm sorry. If we lose our morals, we lose our freedom, right? Think about it. We lose our morals, we lose our freedom. There is a place for absolute standards in the Word of God. If we lose law, we lose justice. And when I first wrote this, I thought, I should even say, if we lose the law, we lose the gospel. Because I'm working with a man right now who needs to be saved. And so my whole time with him right now in the first few weeks is to show him, to get him lost to where I'm showing the law of God and how he's broke the commandments. If we lose responsibility, we lose prosperity. Um, you know that. We need to be responsible. We may have some rights, but we also have some responsibilities. Here's one. If we... I must not be doing this quite right. If we lose the family, we lose society. I, I love to talk about the family. This is the one, this is one that breaks my heart a lot because we see, I'm reading on this topic, and I see how the culture is trying to destroy the family. But if we lose the family, we lose society. And that's why I want to say to all of you families, you are so crucial for us. And then if we lose God, we lose man. Whenever we throw God out, all of a sudden we see society and culture being destroyed. And I might say just to the church, it's like this. When we lose Jesus, we lose the church. Even a good church like Ephesus in the book of Revelation, um, we have a church that had left their first love. And Jesus said, if you're not careful, I'm going to come and take away your candlestick. So those are lose-lose situations and you might look at our culture and you might say, man, it's never been this bad before. Well, perhaps if you're just looking at America, that would be true. But it's kind of fun to look into the Bible and say, okay, when was this written? To whom was it written? What were the conditions like where they were living? And so Alfred Adersheim, a little paragraph you have there in your notes, and I'll just partially read it, gives us an idea of the moral status of Rome. The title of this message is Living in Rome, Rooted in God. And so let's look at the conditions of Rome just a little bit when Paul wrote this to the Romans. The world was in a state of extraordinary moral, extraordinary moral degeneration. 2,000 lords in Rome had 1,300,000 Slaves, which were treated with great cruelty. Chastity and marriage were exception, while divorce and immorality were the rule. The priests preyed upon the masses. Many seductive cults exerted a degrading influence. The emperors were monsters in crime. Further down, the horrible character of vice and crime is witnessed to by the excavated objects of Pompeii. Tacitus said that the spirit of the times was to corrupt and to be corrupted. From this idol worship down toward the bottom of the paragraph, they had gone on into moral degeneracy and crime 
until they were lost in a world of darkness and destruction. And I love what Adersheim adds here at the bottom of this paragraph. This was the condition of the world morally when Jesus came, who was to overcome the world with his gospel. And family, listen, when Paul wrote this to these Romans, we're going to look at Romans 16, 25 to 27 in just a moment. When he wrote this to them, this was the condition of their world. I think sometimes we forget about that. So with that being mind, if we, in mind, if we can go back and see that context and bring it for, forward to where we are today, we're going to find out why you need to be encouraged that the church should never lo- lose hope. So would you go to the last chapter of Romans 16, and we're going to look at the last three verses of, of that chapter. You know, the fun part about this is that this message was born out of Teresa and I's devotional time. In other words, we read through a book, chapter by chapter, day by day, in the morning, and we pray together. And so we were just going through the book of Romans. We came to this last chapter, and when we read, we read all these names, you know, all these unusual names that are in there. And then we came to these last three verses, and it's just like the Holy Spirit grabbed my heart and wrapped these verses around my heart. And I began, after she left and I went to my study, I just took my yellow pad and I basically wrote on my yellow pad that day what I'm presenting here today. I've never presented this before Calvary here, so you guys are the first time to be hearing this. But it just grabbed my heart and I wrote that byline, why a local church should never lose hope. I want you to read this passage, follow along as I I read, and I want to highlight some special words. We're in Romans 16, 25. Now to him, say him out loud, everybody, him. Who is him? This is God. Now to him, God all wise. Do you know that God sits enthroned at the flood back in Noah's day? And God sits enthroned today. And I think that's cool. It should bring a lot of security to us. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel. Keyword, establish. Say establish. Ready? Establish. Now I know the ESV, I think you use that here, says strengthen. I understand. Neither one of those words kind of clearly explains uh, what it really is. I'll do that in just a moment. Um, Now to him who is able to establish you. And then the next key word is according. And there's three of them in there. Establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, which is according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, which is according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith. To God, alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So we start with God, we end with God, and we're rooted in God. And you're going to see that's the reason why we never lose hope. So let's bow in prayer and ask the Lord to show us some beautiful things about this passage. Lord, you know I love being here, and you know I love sharing this. And even though this is my first time to share it, I believe it's right. I believe it's right for today. I believe it's right for us. And even as we have this example in Rome, 
so we have the example for us as a church today in America. I love the local church, you know that, and these who make up Calvary Bible Church, Lord, are a precious family, and I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will encourage them in a very special way so they can lay down any fear or negativity or worry about the future, but continue to do the things you ask us to do, believing that you will establish us. We thank you so much for this truth that it's down in print in our language and we can look at it. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, I want you to see God's heart for the church. Uh, In our Sunday school class this morning, we talked as young couples and so that we can get down to a heart level in our relationship. I think it's really good when we see in the Word of God what God's heart is for us. And here's God's heart. Now to him who is able to establish you, and the key word there is establish. And I might say it involves stability, and it involves fruitfulness, it involves beauty, and it involves prosperity. The idea there is not money, but prospering, a life that's prospering, because we know God. And I put up there Psalm 1, 1 through 3, because when you think of the word establish, sometimes you might just want to think of a concrete or a block foundation. But this word establish has life to it. And I put Psalm 1 there because it's like a tree, like this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's a great picture of being established. Teresa and I had, we had 127 oak and hickory trees on our yard. How many guys know that's a lot of leaves to rake? And so, and then another thing I noticed is that our grass was dying because you can hardly find a real sunny spot in our yard for very long. And so I decided we're going to have less trees or less leaves and more grass. Well, that meant I had to start dropping trees. And so last year we dropped 17 trees and we are getting more grass. This fall I'll realize we have less leaves. But now, guess what I have, guys? What do you have left when you cut a tree down? Stump, thank you. How many would just really love to remove stumps? You know, isn't that a fun thing to do? And I'm, I even have three grades of chains for my chainsaw. I have the first string chains, and they're high-speed chains. They're aggressive, and so they're sharp and good. But how many know you don't want to get those in the dirt? Okay, so then I have a second string, and then I have a third string. I use all my third string chains on removing stumps. So if I get it in the dirt, it doesn't bother that much. But then I get those cut down. Guess what I have to bring in? I have to bring a stump remover and grind them down. And how many know that an oak tree has a pretty amazing root system? I like roots. In fact, real seeded people, aggressive, loving, fruitful people concentrate on the root and not on the fruit. And so I want to talk to you today about the root system. Because when we're in Christ, this is how we're rooted. And God's heart for us is to be rooted and to be established, to be stable people who know what they believe, why they believe it. They're fruitful people who see fruit coming. Maybe it's people coming to know Jesus 
or maybe it's just a fruit of the Spirit coming out of them, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, or, or beauty. I, I find that Spirit-filled, rooted Christians are beautiful people. I love them. They're safe. They're fun to be around. And they're prospering. Uh, Teresa and I have been in Nicaragua. Of course, we had kids down there for missionaries. And we actually were, I was ministering to the pastors in Nicaragua. And one man pastored the dump. He pastored the dump. His congregation lived in the dump outside the city of Managua. But, you know, those people had joy like we had joy. They didn't have a dime. And they made their houses out of cardboard and tin. And the pastor just lived at the edge of the dump. I went in there and had like tea with him. And his wife was a pretty little Nicaraguan lady coming out and bringing our tea to us. And you would think they were millionaires because they knew Jesus. When we're rooted in Jesus and understand our root system, it really does help those things to be true about us. So this leads me, this next point, guys, is the most important point. This is the most important one. If you're circling anything, most of the notes are there for you, like Pastor Jeremy said. But if you're circling anything, if you want to remember anything, that this is the point I want you to remember. So God's heart for the church is that we be established. And so I don't know about you, but at my age, I find myself getting weaker and weaker. I find the, the, the older I get, the find, I find myself more and more at the end of myself and being able to do anything about anything. I have learned that I can't talk anybody into becoming a Christian. And if I lead them through the process and maybe they say yes, 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 and pray a prayer, and they're not really birthed by the Lord, so I, I just find myself helpless. And so I've got to have another life in me and in the church that's going to keep us going. And so I want to talk to you about God's life in the church. Okay, gang, say life. Ready? Life. It's a big deal. This is what I want you to remember. All the other things, you'll be able to apply it. But when you go away from here and you say, we're going to be established because He is here. He is our roots. And this is where we get the word according in that text. So you got your tree there, you got the root system in your notes. And so the first thing is that we are rooted in the gospel. That's cool. We hear that all the time. In fact, this is like a gospel sandwich. You know, we're in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so when Paul comes here at the end of the book, he says, according to my gospel. And so we got gospel, gospel, and several times gospel throughout the book. So the, our first level of roots kind of like the topsoil maybe, is the gospel. And the gospel not only saves us, but it sanctifies us. I didn't know that when I started. I somehow thought I got saved and then work hard for Jesus. And, and I had to learn that Jesus was not only my Savior, but he was my life. And so that's level number one for our root system. But that gospel is according to the mystery. Joe, what is a mystery? Well, the mystery that we didn't see at the beginning. Like in Genesis, you start seeing Jesus, right? And you see him throughout the Old Testament and all the different pictures and types of Jesus. But then as Jesus came, and they even expected him, them, him to deliver them from Rome, but he didn't. He died and was buried and rose again the third day, went to heaven to intercede for them. And guess what? what did he, who did he send, guys? Who did Jesus send then? Who? The Holy Spirit. 
He sent the Holy Spirit. And so where's the Holy Spirit today? He indwells every person in this room who has believed in Jesus. So he indwells us. And that's the mystery. And he indwells the entire church, the big church, all around the world church. And so what the Old Testament believers didn't see and they didn't understand is that God had this mystery that he was keeping, that there was going to be his son that came and died and then sent the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit indwells every believer around the world. And that's called Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's Colossians 1.27, if you're writing that down. That's a great verse. Christ in you all, the hope of glory. So that's the second depth for our roots. We have this gospel, amazing gospel, but then we have this amazing mystery And this amazing mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory, came because of a commandment of God. God commanded this back in the very beginning. From the very beginning, God commanded these things to be true. And then where did those commandments come from? They came from God's character. Are you thinking? You know what? We got a four-level root system. Start with the gospel on the surface. It goes to the mystery that God planned. It came from the commandments that God gave. And it came from the character of God who alone is wise. That's why you should never lose hope. You see that root system? It's unshakable. It can't be changed. That's why we can live our lives and know that the best is yet to come. That's why we can invest everything that we have and know it has an eternal purpose. I love my life because I, I have this amazing, constant truth inside of me that every day of my life has a purpose. Lost folks don't have that. Where does revival begin? I think that's a good question. First time I heard it was way back in 87. And here's the definition. A revival that begins in the character of God is like a river ever deepening and widening until it falls into the expanse of God's great eternity. I believe, I believe with all my heart that every church can live in a constant state of revival. I believe that. Everything we need is here. We have the living word, Jesus. We have the written word, the Bible. We have the character of God. We have the presence of the Holy Spirit. Everything we need for a church to live in joy and revival and fruitfulness and health is wrapped up in this. It gives us a lot of hope. We don't have to look for externals. Everything that we have is right here. So what's God's end for the church? What's God's end for any church? You would say, and you would be right, it's for God's glory. And it's really true. I did write this for you this time, because when I was younger, you know, working so hard in ministry, and had a young family, and was doing all these things within the context of a local church, and then I would say, I'm preaching, I'm studying, I'm visiting and then somebody would say, well, and, and you got to give God the glory. And I had enough flesh in me to say, wow, can't I get a little piece of this? But here's the good news for you. 
When God gains abundant glory, guys, you gain abundant life. It's true. I said before, the less I talk about myself, it seems the better life gets. You know, we all have a tendency to want to drop names or tell what we've done or how much we owe, I mean, how much we own or something so that we can look cool. But the more we live our lives rooted in God, giving God the glory, the more alive we become. I really believe that. I've had to learn it the hard way a lot. Sharon, would you help me out there? I don't know why this is not going. Okay. Now here's where the rubber meets the road. This is what we call God's way with the church. So far, I've kind of talked in theological theory. You know, okay, God's heart for the church, that sounds good. God's life in the church, wow. God's end for the church is that he would get glory. But you could ask me, okay, Joe, how does this work in my everyday how do I live this out? And those, the, the answer for that is wrapped up in the word. What makes it work for us? What is our mode of operation? You can see it right in your text. It's this. For obedience to the faith. You can see two big words in there that you've heard all your Christian life. Obedience and faith. So I I wanted to work on those two words a little bit so that they wouldn't be just like words to you. But when we take take the word obedient, Sharon, I think I'm just going to have to have you advance this. My clicker has quit. How then shall we live? Here we go. Next slide, please. With a grace-driven obedience. You say, Joe, what's a grace-driven obedience? A grace-driven obedience is an obedience that says this, I want to do this. I want to obey God. You know, it's been a joy to me down through the years to have God not only uh, give me what I want, but change my wanter. And so a grace-driven obedience is like this. It's the dynamic life of Christ in us that gives us the desire and the power to obey God. I want to tell you that this is, not, this is nothing but me speaking out of my heart. I love what I do. I do what I love. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad for all the work that went into this message. I'm thankful to deliver it. I want to do this. I want to serve the church the rest of my life, every day that I can. And I want to, I want to rein in my desires and live within the boundaries. And so Obedience to the faith is a grace-driven obedience which is led then to a conviction like faith. It's like, like this, guys. And you need to, I, I think this would be a good sentence to memorize, not because it came from me, it came from Del Tackett. But Del Tackett asked us one time, he said, do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Do you really believe that what you believe is really real? Listen to me. A dear friend said, Joe, can I have breakfast with you? I said, sure. We made arrangements. We went to the restaurant to have breakfast. I sat down at the table. He sat across from me, and he leaned up on the table, and he went like this. Watch me. I'm that far from defecting. Do you know how my heart sunk? I could feel my stomach erupt. 
I'm that far from defecting. He said, I'm not sure Jesus is God anymore, and I'm not sure the Bible is the infallible Word of God anymore. I love this guy. He writes curriculum. He's in leadership. Grew up in a Bible college, a faithful Bible college. I said, why? He says, listen, I don't see anything supernatural here. You know what has to happen, gang? The unseen things that we believe in must be real to us. The seen things come and go. You know that. Paul said it. The things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. But it's the unseen things that we need to be able to see. And I have said, as I've done family seminars down through the years, I said, if we lose the miracle element of our faith, we will lose our kids to our faith. These kids need to know the miracles of God and that they are real. And these little ones need to see those miracles in us. And the real miracles about us are not even things that we can see. And some of you older folks may even be saying, like, my Christian life is boring. If you think your Christian life is boring, then you're not seeing the unseen stuff. You know, Moses endured all that he endured with the children of Israel because he saw him who was invisible. And so it is for us on a beautiful morning like this and the safety of this auditorium to be able to look at these unseen things. Man, alive, my roots are sunk in the gospel, which are sunk in the mystery, which are sunk in the commandments, which are sunk in the character of God. I can't be moved. It's real. And so to make this thing work for us on a day-to-day basis, I don't care if you're working in a factory or if you're working you know, uh, in sales or whatever it might be, The thing that's going to make this real is that I have a grace-driven obedience to this conviction-like faith. I am going to obey this. I want to obey this because this is real. I'm old enough to have a lot of wealthy friends. They've worked hard. They've saved their money. Some are lost and some are saved. Do you know how empty it is to just hang out with wealthy, unsaved people? How boring it is? So you got money. You're going to take it with you? What's eternal? And so the ability to actually see the unseen and live with the fact that I'm going to obey this because this is really real. I met with Jesus in my devotions this morning, you might say. I saw a brand new truth, the insight, the reality becomes greater as we go along. We've got to move on. Our time is going to be gone, so let's go. So what happens when we do that, guys? When you get up every day and say, I want to obey God, and I'm going to believe that this stuff is real. I'm going to apply where the rubber meets the road. I'm going to apply myself. And, you know, I want to say one more thing here. I've had to learn so much that there are times when I'm going with this obedience to the faith down through the years where you take something like a command that goes to us, guys, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. There have been times, honest, being real vulnerable, I've been down by my bed, beaten on my bed, saying, God, I do not know how to love my wife as Christ loved the church. But this is what you say. It's going to work. It's got to work. 
Please work it in me. And we're all at different stages. And so it's that kind of determination where we're crying out to God for that everyday obedience in the everyday situations. And it gets to be more and more real, more and more real. There's a warfare, but it becomes real. What happens? Watch this. Number one, we're established by God, stable, fruitful, and beautiful. As we practice that, we we begin to see the changes. Keep on going. We see it. I think we all ought to be able to look at, see the changes in our lives. Look back at what we were and look at what we are. And we see it. In fact, Romans 12, 1 and 2, you know this very well. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Watch it. That you may prove... What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? And that's a middle action verb. And it means you may prove to yourself what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. The person, the people in this church that need to know this the best is you individually. The best person I can convince of what God is and what God says and what God does and what God commands is good and acceptable and perfect is me. So when I go out to tell a lost man, I can say, this is what's good and acceptable and perfect, pal. And you can have it through Jesus. So we see it. Number two, God sees it. I love that. God sees us. I think that's so awesome. He sees me in my weakness. He sees me in my strength. He sees me in my frustration. I got, when, when COVID came along, you know, and we had to kind of shut down things, all the meetings were canceled, and I found myself home at the wood, in the woods by myself. And man, when you get focused on yourself, you can get some stinking thinking going. And so I had, to, I had to say, Lord, I want to get my eyes back on you. And God sees me in those struggles. So God sees all that. And then I like to say this, some in Rome see it. Some, some, some. The older I get, the more it breaks my heart when I see a lot of my friends not accepting Jesus. But I will tell you, at the foot of the cross, there was one centurion who looked at Jesus died and said, truly, this is the Son of God. And not all your friends are going to get saved. Not all your neighbors are going to get saved. Not everybody in the culture is going to get saved. But there are going to be some. And so Teresa and I, as we live our lives, we just go about and say, okay, who can we give to? Who can we talk to? Who can we pray for? What can we do to role model Jesus? And there are some that are getting saved. And there are some who could care less. But that is not going to stop us. Man, Calvary, you got a lot going. I mean, you got this place, you got the radio station. There's a ton of stuff that Calvary does. And you've done it for a long time. And I'm sure you've been disappointed as you've reached out to your community and maybe you haven't seen everybody saved that you'd like to be saved. But that should not stop you or discourage you. Keep doing it because some in Rome will see your beauty and will be converted. So let's do a little heart search here. Here's some heart search. And this is where you've got to just let the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, search your heart. Here we go. Number one. Will we let Rome scare us? That's a big deal. How many don't like to watch the news all that much anymore? (laughs) You know? Yeah. It can be scary. And they want to keep us scared. 
Here's another question. Will we fight Rome like Rome fights us? Come on, buddy. Bring it on. Number three. By the way, on that second one there, Paul was very careful to say the weapons of warfare are not are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. They're not, we, we can't fight Satan in the flesh. We can't fight anybody in the flesh. It all has to be in the power of the Spirit. Every day I'm saying, Lord, fill me with the Spirit, whether I'm preaching here at Calvary or whether I'm just going to the market. We can't fight Rome like Rome fights us. Will we hate Romans? I heard a pastor say the other day as he was about to lead a revival prayer meeting, he said, I'm tired of blaming sinners for our condition, and I want to start embracing the solution. And I think that was good. God and Jesus is our solution. I think another question we need to ask is this. Will we let Rome infiltrate us? You know, some of us, we may be looking at Rome and saying, there's some cool stuff out there. I'd like to be doing what they're doing. I'd like to be having what they're having. I'd like to be being who they're being. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes of pride of life. And so then what happens is that we let Rome kind of infiltrate our lives. And that probably relates to this next question as well. Will we love Rome secretly? You know, down in our hearts, it's like, okay, you're telling me to separate from the world and follow Jesus. Well, I don't know if I want to give up. And the last question might ask is simply this. Will we be conformed to Rome? We don't have to become like them. In fact, I find that the people in the culture really appreciate it when we stand out different in our actions and our attitudes. So let's wrap this up. Here's the way forward. This is the way forward for all of us, okay? Number one, glance at Rome. Go ahead, glance. In fact, I... I, I'm studying some things so that I'm able to communicate with, Rome, with those in the culture so that I'm not just ignorant about the issues. And then the next one, though, is super important, gaze at God. That's why I said the most important part of this message was the part where we saw the life of God in the church. I'm going to challenge you, Calvary. Keep your eye on God and look at your root system. Wow, the winds are blowing, but I got a root system that's unshakable. It's in the gospel. It's in the mystery. It's in the commandments. It's in God. Gaze at God. Then present ourselves. Here I am. Lock, stock, and barrel. Body, soul, and spirit. I'm all yours, Lord. Then what happens is that we renew our minds. It's very important for us to think right. Think right. Create new paths for your thoughts. Next, be transformed. And then finally, prove what is good and perfect. And then I put this in on the end for you. Rest and rejoice. If we apply ourselves like this and just say, you know what, God? You've got to take it from here. We've done all we can. Got some really good news for you. You ready to hear it? I'm all done. You can fold your notes, close your Bibles. Let me give you the good news. Rome... That culture fell in September of 476 A.D. But now here we are in Lapeer, 4,583 miles from Rome. We're still going as a church. That's cool.
Nations will come and nations will go. Prophets will come and prophets will go. But God remains and so does the church. And that's good news. Leave here saying, I ain't never going to lose my hope again because I'm rooted in Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's bow in prayer. I just love this stuff, Lord, I do. And it's so real. And Lord, having examined the things of the world, they don't offer anything like you offer. And for all of us, we can have great days now and live on purpose and be anchored in you now. And then the best is yet to come. It's all good. Thank you for your heart for us. Thank you for your life in us. Thank you that we can give you glory and enjoy abundant life. And thank you that we can live it on a practical basis every day through obedience to the things that we really believe. Bless this family, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.